What's the overall zeitgeist of the nursing profession and healthcare as 2020 comes to a close? Let's talk all about the state of the profession with my dear friend, Dr. Renee Thompson, as we simultaneously celebrate the 300th episode of The Nurse Keith Show. Hey there, this is Nurse Keith. In these days of the COVID-19 pandemic, we're still disseminating as much high-quality, evidence-based information and expert opinion from me and others as we can in our monthly COVID-19 update episodes. Meanwhile, we still want to support you in your personal and professional development, discuss salient issues of the day, and bring to light issues and concepts that might even be new to you. I love having you along for the ride, whether you're new to the show or you've been on this journey with me for months or years. Thanks for being part of the Growing Nurse Keith Nation. This podcast is, of course, all about you, your nursing and healthcare career, and healthcare writ large. And I'm here to share education, diatribes, ideas, and these informative interviews with some of the most inspiring people from out there in the worlds of healthcare, nursing, entrepreneurship, and beyond. And remember, Nurse Keith Coaching is, of course, still your one-stop shop for all things related to your nursing career. So shoot me an email at keith at nursekeith.com and mention the show to get 10% off your first coaching package. The show notes for this episode will be at nursekeith.com forward slash the word episode and believe it or not, the number 300, 300. And I could think of no better person to have on episode 300 than my dear, 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 dear friend, Dr. Renee Thompson, my very good friend and one of my favorite human beings on the entire planet. So Renee, we're going to talk all about you know, what you're doing with the Healthy Workforce Institute and your bio and how amazing you are and everything. So, but I want to jump right in and just ask you a kind of like a big question. So what do you feel from your lens that you're looking through? What's the overall zeitgeist of nursing and the profession right now as 2020 comes to a close? Yes. Um, well, yeah. <laughs> it's been quite the year, hasn't it? And uh, Yeah, I, tell me all about it. I just want to say before I answer that question, that is, it's truly been an honor, Keith, to be part of your show. Not only, you know, the, the episode number one, but here we are again, you know, uh, episode 300. It's, it's quite yeah. remarkable. And I know you've grown you. uh, quite a following that just providing nurses with just valuable information that helps them every day you know, step up, go into work and do what they need to do, you know, to serve the public, to serve each other. And so I just want to, you know, a little shout out to you because you're one of my favorite humans too. Um, Thank you. However, if we take a look at this year and especially when, when COVID hit, and I always say, you know, healthcare teams were really called upon to save the world. You've heard this before. You know, I always think of firefighters while everybody else is running out of the burning building. They are running into the burning building. And here it is right. with, you know, us nurses, physicians, um, people who work in healthcare. Everybody else was, you know, quarantining at home and protecting themselves from the virus. And here we were. We were out there running towards the virus and not only putting ourselves at risk, but our families too. You know what, mm -hmm. Keith? I'm, I'm sure you can relate. I've never been more proud to be a nurse than to watch my fellow nurses really out there, um, again, putting them, themselves at risk. And everybody was praising them as heroes and we were in it together. 
But then, as you know, we actually thought that there'd be a finish line. Who would have Mm -hmm. thought that at the end of 2020, we were still seeing incredible number of cases after cases in our hospital systems. And nurses got to the point where I I think they, they hit the wall. And now, you know, we thought we would be able to get through this together. But that was, again, because we thought there was a finish line. Well, then that virus moved the finish line. And now we're struggling to just accept this as the new norm. And I know a lot of us are struggling with that. How do you keep up day after day? And so, as you know, there's been a lot of burnout, a lot of people who um, are really struggling to remember why they became a nurse in the first place, really struggling to find the courage and the strength and the motivation to to come into work day after day. So I've, I've been seeing a lot of this out there, not only with my clients, nurses who I talk to, but out there on social media too. And, you know, um, we, we need to do something to support them and support each other. That's really well said, Renee. And and it has been an incredible year Mm -hmm. when this first started back in, well, when we first were more aware of it in March, I know it was here before, before 2020 started, it was actually here. That's been discovered now, but since March, we've really been hard at it. And when people talk about nurses and doctors and physical therapists and social workers and chaplains and everybody running in the direction of the fire, Mm -hmm. it's like our collective building's on fire. The society's building is on fire. Like the collective society around the world, that building's on fire. And I always want to also give a shout out to the people who stock the shelves at Trader Joe's and the people who work at the gas stations and the people who deliver our mail and the people who are doing all sorts of other services like fixing our bicycles, which is an essential service, right? So the mechanics, all the people who are out there not working from home, not telecommuting, not sheltering in place, and putting themselves on the line as well. And I thank people at my co-op and Trader Joe's and other places. Yeah. I'm like, thank you for working. You know, thanks for thanks for feeding us. And and I also like to call out um, the people who clean the rooms at the hospitals, the environmental services staff who I don't think are paid as much as nurses. And <laughs> right. They go into those rooms and they clean the COVID rooms. They keep them clean. And the people they who deliver do. meals and the people mm-hmm. who treat, fix the HVAC systems. Like it's this web of people who are keeping society going. And you, you know, your organization's called the Healthy Workforce Institute. Mm-hmm. You used to be a one woman show. You were zipping around the country yeah. and the world, mm-hmm. right? consulting and speaking and stuff. And now you have a whole team of people and you are starting to go out to facilities again. Like you're doing your consulting work in person, Mm -hmm. right? You just told me you've been traveling recently. So when you go out and you talk to the nurses on the ground or even the executives, you know, what, what are some of the things you hear in terms of like their specific struggles? Mm -hmm. Like we've just covered the, we just kind of got the, the side of the barn you know, so if we got a little, a little more granular without, you know, identifying anybody, Uh, what are you hearing? Like, what are specific things now? Well, there, there are several common patterns, I guess. Um, I I could say that I'm, that I'm finding out there. If we look at um, leadership, okay. 
and the relationship that the leaders have with their employees, there's always a little bit of a disconnect. And the employees don't think the leaders are, especially throughout this, this year, um, doing what they need to do to protect them. Um, you know, there's been a big issue out there looking at PPE. And so that's even really widening that gap between the employees and their leadership team. And I try, I'm the person that's in the middle trying to bridge that gap. And when I'm out there now with my consulting clients and I'm talking with nurses and their leaders, I'm trying to help them see that they're on the same team. Okay. And I'm trying to give a lot of my conversations are with the leaders telling them, giving them permission to tell their teams, I don't know. <laughs> I mm -hmm. don't have the answers because I want us to think about this. Nobody's gone through a global pandemic in our lifetime. What makes mm -hmm. any one of us think that just because you're a CNO or director or manager in a healthcare organization, that you know how to handle this. Yet they're either acting as though they know what to do and pretending, oh yes, we've got this covered. And then what's happening is the staff are seeing right through that saying, no, you don't. You change your mind every other day on how we're supposed to, you know, what our process is. Instead, this is a time for the leaders to be vulnerable and say to their teams, you know what, I'm, I'm going through this with you. And here's what I know today. Here's what I know right now. And, you know, as far as even things like PPE, this is how many, these are how many N95 masks I have right now. And not to, you know, hide that or pretend like you have a ton or you pretend like you don't have any. This is how many I have. These are how many, this is how many patients we have today. Let's figure this out together. So one of the, the common patterns, what I've been hearing out there is this disconnect between the employees and the leadership team. And I see it on both sides where they just need to do a better job really seeing themselves as a healthcare team. And you mentioned, Keith, it's not just the nurses and the physicians and you know, even respiratory. It's EBS. It's dietary. It's the entire team. And that's been a big focus of, of mine and, and my team over the last six months is not segmenting roles in a, you know, a hospital or in a healthcare system. It's taking a look at the team because the other, what I'm hearing from people, so there's two more. One is an incredible amount of burnout, fatigue, stress. And again, it's not just the nurses are stressed out or the physicians, the leaders. I've talked to some leaders when, when COVID first hit and we started seeing resurgence, some of these um, leaders were working every single day for like mm. seven weeks. I talked to one, seven weeks in a row, she didn't have one day off. She's like, how do I leave my, my team and go home when I know that they're still here dealing with this? And so we're, we're seeing such an incredible amount of burnout and the organizations that are actually making, addressing this a priority are the ones that are able to ride this wave, uh, you know, this second wave and the third wave of surges mm -hmm. um, better than others. And it's, it's making wellness now an equal priority as you do PPE. It's, it's almost as though you're looking at, okay, all the protective gear that we're, we're giving our employees, 
focuses on the outside. But things right. like wellness and self-care as you know, a healthcare team focuses on the inside. You have to do both. Mm. So Renee, those are, those are really powerful reflections. And I know they're from the front lines. Mm-hmm. Like you're not just talking theoretically here. Nope. You're talking to real life oh, people, yeah. mm-hmm. right? So here's my question for you, because you, you know what's going on and you've, you've had your finger on the pulse for years, right? Mm-hmm. So is this just, well, how do I frame this? The situation we're in now at the pandemic, is it just showing us what was always there and it's just kind of in our face or are there new issues? You know, I know the PPE is a thing, right. but is the, is the disconnect something that just has always been universal, but it's just like people just can't take it anymore and they're seeing it so much more. How would you, mm-hmm. how would you characterize that? Um, well, I, I think if I share with you and your listeners the third sort of pattern that I've been seeing, okay. um, this ties in beautifully. It's as though you were reading my mind, Keith. I've been reading your mail, uh, actually. <laughs> anything good in there? Okay. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, Mom's the word. Yes, don't tell, don't tell. Mm-hmm. Um, we have been seeing an uptick in disruptive behaviors coming out of healthcare organizations right now. I have never been so inundated with people reaching out, telling me how horribly they're being treated by their coworkers, by, you know, their colleagues, people in other, you know, uh, departments, you know, professions. It is so bad. Even um, the good nurses, okay, quote unquote, the ones who were professional role models are now acting out. And mm. you asked if this is um, really just uh, we're, we're amplifying. We're, we, now we're seeing what was already there. It's just amplified because of the virus. 100% yes. Okay. There were always disconnects between leaders and their employees. There's always been some level of burnout. I used to use this statistic. 60% of people who work in healthcare say they feel burned out. Keith, that was before the global pandemic. If we did a study right now, I bet that's 90%. Yeah. And so when people are burned out and they're stressed out, they act out. And we're seeing more and more people who are just um, responding, they're reacting to just an incredible amount of stress. And what's happening is the leaders who are already hesitant to confront disruptive behaviors because they don't know how to do that. And obviously that's what we teach them. What's Mm -hmm. happening though is when the leaders understand why their employees are acting out, because they understand it, they're ignoring it. I had, oh my gosh, it broke my heart. I had Mm -hmm. um, one of the leaders that I've been working with, he said that, um, somebody came and told him that one of his nurses was really rude to a respiratory therapist. I mean, berated this therapist. And he thought, wow, that's shocking. That's one of his good nurses. Okay. Mm. <laughs> so he said, that's it. You know, we're, we're, he knows when somebody behaves in a way that's really disrespectful, you have to address it immediately. Even if you don't have all the facts, he says, hey, I heard this. Not sure if it's true. We're going to talk about it. And mm-hmm. he waited for her. She was in a patient's room. She came out, she took off her mask, she had marks on her face from her mask, she had been crying, 
she looked, he said it was so, she looked so pathetic. And I'm looking at her ready to confront her about her behavior. And I thought, I, I, I can't do that. He said, I just turned around and walked away. Mm -hmm. So we understand that people are behaving in ways that are incredibly disrespectful to each other. However, Keith, we understand it because people are so stressed out, but that's a problem because then over time, people start thinking that it's okay to behave that way. There are better ways of helping people to cope and to still maintain that um, expectation that the way we treat each other is just as important as the care that we provide and to address disruptive behaviors in a way that's very caring though. Mm. In the second half, um, after we take a break, we're going to talk about how to address mm-hmm. it. I really want to get to solutions because sure. it's always important. We can name the problems and it's pretty easy to name the problems. Like, oh, there's not enough PPE, people are being unkind. But I know part of your work in the world with the Healthy Workforce Institute and before that with RT Connections, mm-hmm. before you had a whole team, was to come up with solutions, right? And present them. And that's why you do what you do, right? Exactly. So, and, and I guess... I also want to point out, and I know you know this, but I want to bring it to the attention of maybe that one person listening who, for whom this is true, and I bet that's like almost everybody listening. Mm-hmm. So if I was a leader, and I used to be, I'm not anymore, I was a CNO, but if I was now, I would be thinking, of course, about like, okay, how do we help protect them? Help, help our staff feel safe, protected, seen, and heard. Okay, so we've got that down. Let's work on that. And then we have to look at, okay, how do we make sure people are treating each other well, how there's intra and inter-team mm-hmm. communication, and dot, 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 right? You know, you know all, the, all the things. Yep. So then, because of the pandemic, I have to think, okay, this nurse who seems really stressed out, maybe her kids are all home alone doing you know, learning from home remotely because of the pandemic. Maybe this nurse's spouse, whether it's a man or woman, doesn't matter. Maybe they lost their job. Maybe they died. Mm -hmm. Maybe two of their family members have COVID right now. Maybe they haven't seen their granddaughter or grandson or nieces and nephews or children for months on end. So I guess what I'm trying to say, what you already know, and I think people listening right now know too, is that we can't look at our workplace circumstance in a vacuum. Mm -hmm. Like you don't just go to work and everything at home goes away, right? Absolutely. So is your home, is that nurse's home being foreclosed on or are they being evicted Mm -hmm. or is their mom being evicted? So, you know, I would imagine that this has to come up in conversations too when you talk to leaders and nurses. So is that part of the puzzle that you're hearing, these, these mm-hmm. things? Uh, yes. And, you know, you've heard this before, Keith. We all have. We make assumptions, a lot of assumptions about people. And because of our negativity bias as human beings, those assumptions tend to be very negative. Mm. And we know that everybody has a story. And I think right now, more than ever before, we need to spend the time and energy trying to learn somebody else's story and even asking the question. Now, some people are very private and they don't want to talk about those things. But I think just having somebody who says to you, you know, like, let's say you and I were working together and you seemed exceptionally stressed out. I would say, Keith, 
you seem really um, stressed today. Do you want to talk about it? I'm here for you. Um, is there something going on that, you know, maybe I can help you with? But just to connect with that person to say, are you okay? And I think even just that is helpful because you're absolutely right. You may be going into work, but you don't know, you know, you, you think about the people who you work with, even your leaders, even your EBS, you know, your support staff, your pharmacy tech, everybody has something else going, going on at home. It may be that somebody in their family is now testing positive for COVID or has lost their job. Or is somebody else who's putting themselves at risk? So I think now more than ever, it's just to recognize that, as you said, Keith, it's not just the work and working in a vacuum. We are human beings who have our lives, who happen to be coming into work together to serve you know, our, our patients, or each other. What can we do to, to make that time at work uh, something meaningful and know that you're supported by your coworkers beyond the four walls of your organization. Well said, man, I wish we were recording this because <laughs> that would just be amazing to have that. Oh, wait, we are oh, we're recording God. this for posterity episode 300. You're so oh, my smart. oh my gosh. So it's, it's kind of like before the pandemic, our coworkers were struggling. They had maybe a child with autism or they were getting divorced or, you know, whatever is going on in their lives. So we know that people have lives and I guess everything is bigger and more in our face now and everything is magnified. We're in an election year. And by the mm -hmm. time this episode airs, the election, election day will be kind of a month and a week past once this, once this airs. So we don't know how that's going to pan out. Maybe when this airs, the election will still be in court. You know, right. we don't really we know. Don't know. Hopefully not. I cross my fingers. That's not the case. But I think the, the general feeling of global anxiety and not just anxiety, but existential threat. We have you know, I think about young people, like you had a granddaughter recently, right? She's, yes. how old is she now? She is just over two years old. That's right. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I think about, you know, the existential threat that her parents feel, for instance, you know, global, um, you know, climate change and what's happening with the pandemic and where our world is headed. And of course, we want the best for our children and grandchildren, right? Mm -hmm. So existentially right now, we're just at a place where people are feeling massive levels of uncertainty, right? And the births and the celebrations are the things that kind of buoy us because mm -hmm. that we need things to make us happy now too. We can't just focus on all the things that are wrong. Right. And I... I would hope that in some organizations too, maybe there's a little celebrating here and there, mm -hmm. you know, and just making note that, yeah, we've done an amazing job or whatever, whatever's happened. So when we come back from a quick break, I want to start talking about solutions and ideas and even the teeny, teeny, tiny things people can do to, to just switch the channel just even a little bit. 
for each other. So we'll be right back, Renee, and everyone listening for the second half of episode 300. This episode of The Nurse Keith Show is sponsored by the University of Portland School of Nursing. Interested in returning to school to become a nurse practitioner? Well, there's good news. The University of Portland School of Nursing recently launched a Doctor of Nursing Practice Adult Gerontology Primary Care Nurse Practitioner Program. This three-year program is designed for registered nurses like you with a Bachelor of Science degree and students receive advanced training in geriatric and palliative care. It's a hybrid program with online courses and on-campus weekend immersions once per month. Not only is it one of a kind in the state of Oregon, it also addresses a critical need due to a shortage in primary care providers with expertise in geriatrics and palliative care. In addition, the University of Portland has a family nurse practitioner program for BSN-prepared RNs that's also delivered in hybrid format with a focus on integrative health. Applications for both programs for summer 2021 are open and will be accepted until April 1st, 2021. University of Portland School of Nursing is charting the future for a strong and healthy community. Are you? Please visit nursing.up.edu for more information, and I thank the University of Portland School of Nursing for their generous sponsorship of The Nurse Keith Show. And welcome back to the second half of this episode number 300. Still having a hard time wrapping my head around that. Please remember the show notes will be located at nursekeith.com forward slash the word episode and the number 300. We're here with friend of the pod and my very dear friend and favorite human being, Dr. Renee Thompson of the Healthy Workforce Institute. And Renee, before we dive right back in, The Healthy Workforce, well, actually we are diving right back in. The Healthy Workforce Institute is an organization and what would be your stated mission of HWI? Uh, My stated mission would be to eradicate bullying and incivility and healthcare across the globe. Okay. And ultimately, I'm trying to put myself out of a company. Oh, okay. I'm hoping if I'm successful that... There won't be any disruptive behaviors in healthcare to the point where nobody will need our help. Mm-hmm. And um, until that happens, um, we are very, very busy. We're actually getting, uh, again, inundated with requests to, for help because technically we're the only company in the world dedicated to addressing disruptive behaviors in healthcare alone. Mm-hmm. We don't go outside of healthcare. Unfortunately, when you think about it, we don't have to. There are plenty of opportunities in healthcare. There, there are. And, and yep. you're not talking from some theoretical place. I mean, you've been a nurse for 29 years, right? Yes. A little longer than me. I'm around 24. You've been a clinical nurse, a nurse educator, a nurse executive, you are seen as a thought leader and I certainly see you as one and you speak on stage everywhere and you're amazing. You're my very favorite speaker anywhere. Thank you. Yeah. And when you go into an organization, so you get, you're gathering information first, right? So Mm -hmm. is it like the nursing process? You go in and assess first. Is that what happens? Always. And I relate it to, you know, if you're a, a frontline nurse and you get an admission, Right. And, you know, you have to do that admission assessment and you ask questions. And one of the questions tends to be, have you had any surgeries? And sometimes your patient will say no, 
and then you lift up their gown and it looks like a roadmap. Oh, that was my gallbladder. Mm -hmm. Oh, I had appendicitis. It's the same thing in an organization. I go in, I pull back the covers and I lift up the gown to see what's happening underneath because that must be scary. Oh yes. Sometimes I, I, I learned some really, um, really good. I get good Intel when I do these assessments mm -hmm. because before you can solve a problem, you have to fully understand the problem. And although okay. there are some common issues that are present in I'd say every single healthcare organization we've done this work, there are common issues. It's the, um, the, the day shift versus the night shift. It's the, um, you know, interdepartmental, you know, conflict. It was how we, how we treat new people, how we treat people who get pulled to our departments if you're working in a hospital setting. But every single time I do that assessment, I find out some other things that the executive leadership team had no idea it was going on. And that helps mm. us to then customize solutions for that organization so that we're addressing their specific issues, not just some, as you said, theoretical, you know, here's what we know, right. how, how disruptive behaviors show up. Maybe they don't show up that way in that organization. Yeah. So you do an assessment, you mm -hmm. pull up the gown, it's very scary. Yeah. And then you, you diagnose, you're like, okay, I see some of the things going on here. Mm -hmm. And then of course you have to come up with your interventions you, and then you have to implement them. And they've hired you to come in. So my assumption is most of the organizations that you go into, when you assess and diagnose and then you come up with a plan, I would hope they're on board, mm -hmm. but I know it's probably a lot of really, really hard work, organizationally speaking. Oh, Keith, it's the hardest work I've ever done in my entire life. However, mm -hmm. it's the most meaningful, especially when you see the results um, I explain this a lot to my consulting clients and, and I, I say to them all the time, you're going to hear me say this like 300 times. I'm going to use your 300 episode, you know, number 300 mm -hmm. times. Yeah. Trust the process. You cannot change culture overnight. You cannot just bring somebody in, even me and do a half day workshop for everyone and check a checkbox and say, okay. Now we know how to address bad behavior. You, you cannot do that. It takes time. And what we do is, as you said, we assess, then we, you know, figure out what's really going on. And then really the, the first step after we assess is we heighten awareness. You cannot expect people to adapt their behavior if they're not even aware their behavior needs to be adapted. And that's one of the reasons we see more disruptive behaviors in healthcare than any other industry in the world. It's because we've normalized deviant behaviors. We say things like, well, that's just her personality. She's a really mm -hmm. great nurse. Just don't get on her bad side. Or, you know, she's an excellent physician. Just, you know, stay away from her. Or don't call her up at two o'clock in the morning or she'll rip your head off. Right. We justify bad behavior because somebody is so good at what they do. So as a result, we just say, well, that's just the way it is here. You have to first heighten awareness of behaviors that truly undermine a culture of safety, a culture of respect and professionalism. Yeah. And I've, it's funny how you say, you know, that's just the way she is, or mm -hmm. that's just the way he is. I've written an article and I think I might've done a 
I, I can't remember all my podcast mm-hmm. episodes now, obviously. I'm also 56. So, you know, things just fall out one ear when they go in, you know, the other. So I need a, I need an external hard drive. Yes, me but, too. Um, yeah. Um, but I've talked about the seven most dangerous words in healthcare, which is that's just the way we've yeah. always done it or something mm-hmm. like that, however many words that is. And that can also mean the way we run our organization, the way we, the way we um, communicate between teams, the way that the executive branch talks to the middle management yes. and the way the middle management talks to the, the people who are on the ground. So I know your mission is to eradicate bullying, incivility, and aberrant behavior. Mm-hmm. So that's the mission. But I think it's, it's deeper than that because mm-hmm. the, the, the causes and symptoms, those are symptoms. And then there could be like big systemic things underneath there. So could you give us, since we're focusing more on solutions, Mm -hmm. this half of the episode, what's one solution you've found that's worked, let's say just in one or several organizations, what's something that you're like, that hit the nail on the head for that organization? Um, The most important thing any organization can do if they have, um, if, if they know that they have disruptive behaviors that are ignored, okay, and it's leading to bad things such as poor retention, you know, high turnover, net, you know, poor patient outcomes, because we have a gazillion studies that can actually show the negative impact disruptive behaviors have on patients when disruptive behaviors mm-hmm. are ignored. The number one most important strategy for any organization, whether I, they seek my help or not, is they have to do a better job equipping their frontline leaders with the skills and tools that they need to set behavioral expectations and hold their employees accountable for behavior, for their conduct. I have not found one organization yet that actually takes a new leader and teaches them, okay, this is what you say to someone, or this is how you address someone's behavior, even if they're clinically competent. This is how you handle that situation. This is how you handle the he said, she said. I- I've just never seen it. And as a result, hmm. leaders do what's comfortable when faced with disruptive behaviors. They do nothing. And I have talked to thousands of leaders, and they all tell me the same thing. I don't know what to say to this person because if I confront her, she'll retaliate against me or she'll go to HR and say that I'm the bully. We're just not doing a good job equipping them. So when an organization reaches out and let's say they can't, they don't have the resources for us to come in and do the entire hospital and they say, okay, we can only focus on one thing. What would that be? You always focus on your frontline leaders because I do want to go back to something it's funny because I, I tell people, I'm referred to as a bullying expert. And every time that's said, I get a little knot in my stomach. Even with our mission mm-hmm. to eradicate bad behavior in healthcare, our ultimate goal, Keith, is truly to cultivate and sustain a professional, respectful, kind, supportive, nurturing mm-hmm. workforce culture but you're never going to get there if you're ignoring your bad behavior. So that's step one. And it's the frontline leaders 
number one responsibility. If you look at any department that has a lot of bad behaviors that are rampant, being ignored, take a look at the frontline leader. I've never seen it happen where the leader was a strong, authentic servant leader who knew what they were doing. So, so when you go in, you target the unit managers, yes. the, the nurse managers. So it's, it's middle management, I guess you would say in business speak, right? 100%. Mm-hmm. And what, what's a skill you teach them? So you said, you know, they have to be able to address the mm-hmm. problem. So what is, what's a concrete skill that um, one of these unit managers would learn from the Healthy Workforce Institute? And, and then what's the, what, how does that then trickle out into the organization and change the culture? Mm-hmm. Uh, I'll give you, and this is a very practical, very simple skill that they're not currently doing that I think is so incredibly powerful, whether you do it or not, you do this and it's powerful in a good way. You don't do it and it's powerful in a bad way. Okay. This is so common. Let's say there's a huddle and you're, you gather together with your team and you're doing a huddle Mm -hmm. and somebody in the huddle, maybe one of your nurses is really disrespectful and rude to somebody in the huddle may yell, they criticize, and you're standing right there too, okay? Here's what happens. The leader tends to say nothing, but the leader thinks, you know what? She's being really rude. I'm going to talk to her after. I don't want to say anything to her right now because I don't want to embarrass her. And I'm saying her, it Mm. could be him, you know, it could, okay. Here's the problem with that. First of all, everybody else who hears this they're not a mind reader. They don't know you plan on talking to this nurse. When Mm -hmm. you ignore bad behavior in the moment, especially when other people hear it, everybody else thinks it's okay. Everybody else thinks that that's normal behavior. And it's one of the reasons that bad behavior continues in healthcare and how we've normalized it because nobody says anything. So what I teach leaders to do is this. Anytime there's a disruptive behavior happening, somebody curses, yells, argues, is rude, slams something, Mm -hmm. you have to address it in the moment. And there are two components to addressing it. What works best is to give a visual cue, okay? So I like to do the timeout symbol, timeout, or put your hands up, whoa, okay? A Mm -hmm. visual cue and a verbal cue, because what you want to do is you want to interrupt Like, stop that disruption. You want to say, time out. The way you're talking right now is unprofessional and you need to stop. What you Mm. just said is rude. You need to stop. This Mm. isn't the opportunity for you to counsel this person and do the, you know, a lecture in front of everyone, but it's your responsibility as leader to stop that behavior because now everybody else who's there hears you identify this as inappropriate and unprofessional. You're sending a message. You're sending a message whether you say something or not. So I teach leaders, anytime you overhear, you're there and you see or hear disruptive behavior, you have to stop it immediately. We don't do that here, okay? Mm-hmm. We don't act like that here. So it's a visual cue and then um, some type of verbal cue to stop. I like how you said we. Mm-hmm. Like the, the first example you gave was, was your behavior, you know, dot, 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 which is mm-hmm. good. And then 
following up, you said, we don't do that here. So if you said, okay, what you're doing is not okay. It has to stop. We don't do that here. Or we don't accept that type of behavior here in this organization. And, And I guess if I'm one of the nurses, maybe who's been targeted by that person before, and I'm over here 15 feet away, and I see the manager do that and say that, I would think that that would make me feel like, oh, I'm a little safer here now because this stuff's being called out, right? 100% right. It gives that Uh person who's been targeted, who might not be saying anything because 40% of all targets never tell anyone, they don't speak up. And if if that target, and I always call them a target, Keith, not a victim, Mm -hmm. They're a target, no. and that gives you yes. at least a little bit of control. I've just been targeted. Victim is a place of powerlessness. I'm like, no, you're not a victim. You're a target. Um, it gives them hope that things will get better, especially when that leader starts stepping up as a leader and starts addressing disruptive behaviors. Even if they don't witness that behavior, but they hear it, somebody complains to them about someone behaving in a way that's really unprofessional. I advise leaders to go to that person quickly, like within a day and say, hey, I heard this. I heard that this is what happened. I don't know if it's true. However, Mm -hmm. you and I are going to have a conversation just in case it is. It's you Mm -hmm. set the expectation for how we conduct ourselves here as professionals. And it, it is so powerful. I cannot even begin to tell you how many leaders, once they've made that commitment that anytime they witness disruptive behaviors to stop it in the moment, how that has a positive ripple effect on the entire department. Mm, that's, that's really powerful. And you and I have talked about this stuff ad nauseum because that's what it is yeah. out there. It's ad nauseum. Mm-hmm. It's happening all the time. And then we have microaggressions mm-hmm. like say, the environmental services, the EVS worker comes through to clean, let's say, a COVID patient's room. And he or she is treated poorly mm-hmm. by the nurse because the nurse wants to get his or her stuff done. And the environmental service worker needs to go in the room and like do a really good job for, for infection mm-hmm. control, right? And so that little microaggression might happen. And that EVS worker has even less of a voice in the hierarchy than say the nurse who's being bullied or treated poorly by another nurse. So, or it could be, you know, I mean, you're, you're more aware of this than I am that microaggressions are hard to address because they're sometimes so subtle. Oh yes. So do you feel is it, am I making a good assumption here or accurate assumption that if the culture starts to change at the macro level, like the executives start to treat the middle managers better, and I'm sure you address those mm-hmm. relationships, and then the middle managers start to treat the nurses differently and address these aberrant behaviors, et cetera, et cetera. Do, do you think that, or have you seen that microaggressions go down in number or severity? Yes. Um, it's funny. I had uh, a chief medical officer in an organization. We were doing you know, full consulting, the entire organization. This is our second year there. And I was explaining to him what we do. We um, strengthen the organization. We equip our frontline leaders and we empower the employees. Okay. It's our three-pronged mm-hmm. approach. 
And he's like, yeah. oh, I get it. You do a top down, bottom up and everything in between approach. And I said, yeah, that's exactly what we do. Because Keith, it's not any one of us. It's all of us. And again, I'm going to go back to you treat everybody as they're part of the healthcare team and you value everybody's role on the team so that whether you're a physician, you're a dietary aid passing trays, you're a nurse practitioner, you're a nurse who's been there for 50 years or a brand new nurse, everybody plays a role in being able Mm -hmm. to serve those patients. And it's how you talk with people and and how you intervene when you see somebody treating somebody in a really condescending manner just because they're in a perceived lower role than you. So for example, you, you see somebody be really rude to somebody who's in their cleaning. And it's, again, time, we don't treat anyone here that, you know, that way. We don't mm-hmm. do that here. Like we don't play that mm-hmm. game. And it's, again, when you hear it, when you see it, somebody has to intervene. And, and we actually work with EBS and we ask them too, to mm-hmm. intervene when they see somebody behaving in a disruptive manner or when somebody's treating them in a manner that's really rude and unprofessional is to say, excuse me, the way you're talking to me right now, is not okay. Right. It's to empower them to speak up on their behalf too. Right. So you just pinpointed something really important that a few minutes ago, we talked about if I'm a manager and I see somebody acting poorly, Mm -hmm. right. Aberrantly, I can say, we don't do that here. If I'm, I'm a nurse, I'm a unit nurse, you know, doing my thing on staff and I'm treated poorly by whoever and no one else is around. Like it's just Mm -hmm. us, right? Night shift, like no one else is around. I have to have the temerity to stand up to that person and say, that behavior is not okay. Or the way you're speaking to me is not okay. I don't, or whatever. Right. So, so we also have to take personal responsibility at the same time. Yes. Right. Yes. Because it's, recognizing that every single person on the healthcare team, uh, and it's Mm. not even a matter of deserves to be treated with respect. It's just what you do in a professional environment. You communicate with each other in a respectful manner that helps you to achieve a common goal. And that common goal in some way relates to the patient. And one of my favorite success stories is I was working with a client. She was the manager in an endoscopy department. And there were a lot of issues between the support staff and the nurses. And sometimes when you go into those ambulatory care areas, it's not the nurses being really condescending and disrespectful to the support staff, you know, the techs. It's the techs who have been there, some of them, you know, for a really long time, who are being incredibly condescending and disrespectful to the nurses. So, again, it's not any one of us. It's all of us. And she, um, this leader was around the corner and she overheard one of her techs and her nurses get into an argument. And the, it was the nurse who was being rude to the tech. And the tech said to the nurse, hey, time out, he said. We don't play that game here anymore. We can talk about this as professionals, right? And she said, you know what? I'm sorry, you're right. Let, let's talk about this. And my, my, man, my client was around the corner doing like, yes, you heard it because they didn't know she was there. They took responsibility for this. So when when you empower employees to speak up on behalf of each other and themselves, what ends up happening is 
the, the leader then gets less complaints. People aren't running to the leader to fix the problem all the time. The leader can actually do what they need to do. And that is take care of their people and, you know, lead their teams and manage their department. It's, it's incredible mm-hmm. the amount of time and energy leaders are given back once you empower everyone to be part of the culture and, you know, professional, respectful, nurturing, supportive, mm-hmm. kind. Mm-hmm. That's a good story. That's a really good one. One of my favorites. I can picture the leader peeking around the corner, (laughs) you know, and and watching like they're like watching this work in action. Yes. And I think because of the work you're doing, I mean, that's one reason you're in 2018, you were recognized as one of LinkedIn's top 10 voices in healthcare for your contribution, you know, to the global online community, the healthcare community. And you're only one of 26 nurses in the world who's become a certified speaking professional from the, um, the, uh, what it's this national speakers association, the NSA. That is correct. And you are, you are incredibly good at what you do. And I, I learn from you all the time. Thank you. And I want to thank you just on behalf of maybe that one person listening right now who is either a middle manager or an executive or a nurse on the unit. And you know, I didn't say just a nurse. Thank I said you. a nurse mm-hmm. on the unit. And that nurse is like, oh, okay. So I'm going to take that little pearl from Renee and, and try that out next time somebody's rude to me. So we started with the pandemic and I want to kind of end with because <laughs> we're recording this at the end of October and this is airing in, in December. The pandemic is eventually going to be over to some extent. Like we'll have a vaccine or actually we'll have a number of vaccines mm-hmm. and this virus is probably going to be around forever. It's going to circulate like the flu. Yep. And who knows? I mean, hopefully this time next year we'll be looking back going, oh yeah, that we really got control of that. So when this the heat of the pandemic is over and we're getting back to whatever the new normal is once the pandemic has settled down and let's hope that's sooner than later we can't go back to things as they were so what's one thing that we can focus on to make sure that when the fires died down that we keep the flame up on our desire to to be better. Mm-hmm. So what's a central tenet of the Health Healthy Workforce Institute in that regard? Big, big, big picture. Yeah, I, I think it's, it's uh, my mantra. It's I say this at nauseum. It's in my email signature. It's every conversation I have with someone, doesn't matter who's in my audience, I say this. And when we look at, you're right, Keith, when this pandemic gets to a, a point where it's no longer affecting us in the way it is right now, Um, You know, how do we make sure that we learn from this and we become better as an organization, as a profession, as a human race? And it always goes back to this statement. It's the way we treat each other is just as important as the care that we provide or the services that we offer, whatever we do, whether, you know, you're in healthcare or you happen to be listening to this. And as we started early earlier, you talked about if you're stocking the shelves at at Trader Joe's or if you're delivering, you know, my packages from Amazon, Mm -hmm. the way we treat each other, one human to another human is 
just as important, if not more important than what we do. And if every single one of us would remember that and show up every day acting that out, oh my gosh, we could actually look back on this pandemic in the future and say, that's what enabled us to get to a place where we cared about each other as a human race. And mm. that, that's what I hold in my heart for everybody who's you know, on the call listening or who's not listening. It's, it's, the, it's what I hold in my heart for everyone is to remember that. Thanks, Renee. That, that's a great you know, cap on this conversation, bringing it back to the big picture. We got a little granular and then mm -hmm. we're kind of like pulling the camera back again, which is what I like to do because we need the macro micro view. We can't do one or the other. So, you know, speaking of treating well, I mean, you've treated me like so well as such a friend and colleague and mentor for 10 years. And yeah. I, you know, we met, well, almost 10 years, almost we met in 2011 years. or so. Mm -hmm. So thank you for, for being my friend and thanks for being in the world and doing all this great work. And people go to healthyworkforceinstitute.com, mm -hmm. right? Yes. And we'll have links to your LinkedIn. Mm -hmm. And then also what, what social media are you all on? Uh, I'm on LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter and YouTube. Okay. So we'll have all those in the okay. show notes too. And mm -hmm. I can't thank you enough. And, you know, it's been over a hundred episodes since you were here. So we're going to wow. have to not wait that long again. And um, you're, you're doing great work in the world. And I talk about you all the time. <laughs> so thank you. And um, I love you. You're wonderful. I love you too, Keith. I'm your uh, number one fan and look forward to another 300 episodes on the Nurse Keith show. So thank you. <laughs> oh my gosh. Thank you. <laughs> well, there you have it. Thanks for listening to this really inspiring episode of the Nurse Keith show and the show notes where you can learn all about Dr. Renee Thompson and the Healthy Workforce Institute will be at nursekeith.com forward slash episode 300. I hope you feel uplifted and empowered from this episode. And I want you to take away some pearls from this. Bring it to your leaders, bring it to your colleagues, your friends and family. All of these skills that Dr. Thompson teaches can be applied anywhere and everywhere, even at home. So make sure that you you take this to heart because there's some changes that need to happen and people like dr thompson are making them happen and you have to actually make them happen yourself little by little step by step day by day the nurse keith show is a member of ours longa media a collaborative network of podcasts media entities and others whose aim is to add a humanistic touch to professional education educate the public from a scientifically informed perspective and improve lives by partnering to address social ills. Check us out at arslonga.media. That's A-R-S-L-O-N-G-A dot media. The Nurse Keith Show is also a proud member of the Health Podcast Network, along with Dr. Sanjay Gupta, the New England Journal of Medicine, the Mayo Clinic, Penn Nursing, and many, many other stellar podcasts out there in the world. It's the fastest growing collection of authoritative, high quality podcasts, taking on the tough topics in health and care with empathy, expertise, and a commitment to excellence. The Nurse Keith Show is adroitly and excellently produced by Rob Johnston of 520R Podcasting. And Mark Capispeason is our stalwart social media ringmaster. Thank you, Rob and Mark, for getting us to this place of episode 300. Be well, dig deep, seek joy, keep in touch. This is Nurse Keith saying adios till next time from beautiful Santa Fe, New Mexico. And my dear, dear friend and colleague, Dr. Renee Thompson, bidding you adieu from 
Baltimore, Florida. From deep in Southern Florida. Thank you, Renee. You were the best. Thank you, everyone. Thanks for being here for 300 episodes or however long you've been with me. And we will catch everybody on the flip side of 300. See you at 301.